0: Well, thank you, Cindy, and thanks to all the folks that gave us reports today, and thanks to all of you that have been on these trips that didn't get to stand up here today, or maybe you're going, I'm glad I didn't stand up here today, Um, and just hear about what God's doing. You know, I hope you're inspired by it. You know, the things that you've just seen and heard today, I hope they're showing you the ways that we take the Great Commission seriously at New Life. Now, some of you might be saying, well, I don't know what that is. What's the Great Commission? It's the merging orders that Jesus gave his disciples before he right at the end of his earthly ministry before he went back to heaven. It's in Matthew 28, verse 18, where it says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That... Was the mission that Jesus was on. And it's the mission he left his followers. And that mission's been passed down from those guys on that hillside with Jesus 20 centuries ago right on down to us in this room in Gehenna, Ohio today. So as we wrap up our time together, I just want us to look into the Word and, and see what God wants to say each of us here today about engaging in this critically important mission. Now, I'm sure already some of you are saying, wow, that's just great what these people did on these trips and what's happening in our partner ministries, and I know it's easy to watch from afar and be supportive and all that, but here's the question I want every one of us to consider today. What does this mean to me personally? What is God saying to me about the part He wants me to play in His mission to reach the world? Now, I know for a lot of us, that's a question we just don't want to deal with, right? Some are thinking, I could never go on a mission trip. Or maybe you're thinking, well, I don't, I don't have anything to offer. Or maybe you're thinking, I'm one person. How can I reach the world? And I think if we're honest, all of us have had thoughts like that. But Jesus himself has something to say to us about our part in this mission. And to see what that is, we're going to look to Scripture. So, Grab your Bible of choice, or you can get your study guide out. It's got the verses that are gonna, we're going to look at today on it as well. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. It says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, I think for a lot of us, if you've studied the Bible, if you've followed Jesus for any period of time, that those verses are really familiar. And because of that, I think it's easy for us to gloss over them and not really dig out what it's saying. So we're going to look a little more deeply in these verses. So in verse 35, it starts out by telling us Jesus he's out doing his ministry. And notice that he's not in Jerusalem, which is the spiritual hub of the Jewish people at that time. He's out in the common people in the countryside, right? He's not with the Jewish religious leaders. He's out in the towns and villages. And the verse says he's doing three things. First, he's teaching. Jesus is going into the synagogues and teaching from the Old Testament scriptures. Second, he's preaching. Jesus was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, it says. He's preaching the gospel. And then third, he's serving. Jesus was serving people. He was using his powers as God himself to heal people. Now, while he's out doing this ministry, Jesus is seeing the crowds, it says. Now, some of the crowds are the people that came out to see him, and we know from Scripture that Crowds followed him around. But there were also just all the people out in those towns and villages going about their regular everyday lives, working and raising families and just trying to survive. And as Jesus saw the crowds, the passage says he was moved with compassion for them. He saw that they're harassed and helpless like sheep with no shepherd. Now, if you've heard these verses before, Many times, maybe you haven't considered exactly what this is saying. And in preparing for today, I wanted to understand the reaction Jesus is having to what he's seeing. So I read this passage out of the NIV, and if you have a different translation, the words harassed and helpless might be rendered differently. It might say weary, or scattered, or distressed, or dispirited. Now, when the various translations disagree so much on a word, I want to go back to the Greek and see what it's really saying there. And part of the reason, I think, there's so many different translations is because these two words have a lot of different meanings. The word rendered harassed in the Greek is the Greek word skulo. It can mean to bother, to stress, to extremely annoy, or to vex, but it can have some stronger meanings, like to mangle or to flay. The word rendered Helpless is the Greek word "hrypto," which can mean to cast aside or to be laid out, but it can mean thrown down, even thrown overboard. So from the Greek, it seems to me that Jesus is feeling something very strong here. He's seeing that the people are beaten down. He's seeing that they've been more or less discarded. But who is it that's beating them down? Who's casting them aside? I think the meaning of that becomes obviously at the end of verse 36. It tells us that the people were like sheep with no shepherd. Now listen to what God told Ezekiel back in Ezekiel chapter 34. This is going to start in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. God's telling Ezekiel hundreds of years earlier that the shepherds of Israel were not going to properly care for the flock. And it's not talking about animals here. The sheep represent the Jewish people. And the shepherds represent their religious leaders. God is saying that the Pharisees would fail to care for his people as they should. They were bad shepherds. The Pharisees were far more concerned about making and following rules. And the people, they didn't understand all the rules. They didn't follow all the rules. So the Pharisees didn't respect them. They wrote the common people off. So does that give you a picture a little bit of what Jesus is feeling? The common people had been dismissed by the, the rulers of the religious leaders that day. There was nobody to care about them, no one to guide them. They were beaten down and cast aside. The Pharisees saw the common people as uneducated rabble living in flyover country, and they weren't worth their concern. So given that, Jesus is moved with compassion for these people. He knew that the religious leader should have been worried about guiding and serving the Jewish people, not about keeping rules. And he saw how it left the people feeling abandoned and hopeless. So I want us to notice this progression here in verses 36 through 38. Jesus saw the plight of the Jewish people. Because he saw it, he was moved with compassion for them. And then because of that emotion, he took action to meet their needs. So I think since Jesus is in our example in everything, how he reacted to the needs of the people provides us a pattern for how we should react to the needs of the lost masses in our world now. So back to our question. In the light of what we've heard today about the needs of a lost and dying world, What does this mean to me personally? How should I come alongside what Jesus is doing in the world? There are four things I think we should consider doing to support Jesus in his mission. First, see. Now, this first step might seem obvious, but from where I sit, I think it's the toughest one in our uh, 24-7, constantly plugged-in world. The first thing Jesus did was to recognize the need. I think it's easy to be critical of the Pharisees. They were given a job to do by God. They thought they were doing it by being all about rule keeping, but they forgot to care about the sheep. They were so focused on the minutia that it clouded their ability to see the true need. And so I think it's the same for us today. We're often too busy with all the stuff of life, to notice the needs all around us, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our city, and even in the world as a whole. To make disciples out of all nations, we have to first see the need. We need to recognize the mission Jesus has given us, accept it as our own, as having been assigned to us by the very King of the universe. That's step one but we can't win the whole world at once it's a big job jesus knew that that's why he told his followers the harvest is plentiful he saw the need and he recognized the size of the need so the next step is to engage workers to go out into the harvest field so that's us now let's say i'm this gigantic cornfield i can't pick every ear of corn in that cornfield by myself probably but I can find a part of the job that's reasonable for one person and do that, like one row or one area of the field, or maybe hold the basket while somebody else picks the ears and puts them in it. You know, Cindy and our mission team do a great job of finding needs, and then they put those needs in front of us. That's why events like this Macuna Palooza tonight are important. Come out, let them show you the need then ask God how he might be calling you to help meet it. You can't meet a need until you see it first. Second way we can engage with Jesus' mission for the world, pray. Pastor Jay used to say something back in the day that always stuck with me. He would say, any ministry starts with prayer or it ends. If you serve with me in any ministry, you know I believe deeply in that. So I insist our serving teams that I lead always prioritize prayer before we minister. Jesus saw the need, and he saw the size of the need, and he knew it would take workers to take on the need and meet the need and reap the harvest. So how did he tell his followers to get the workers? He didn't go, okay, guys, we got to step up our recruiting. He, He didn't tell them, like, go out and convince people to be a part of our team. He didn't ask them to devise a campaign to get folks to join up with their cause. He told them to pray. He told them to ask God, the Lord of the harvest, to supply the workers to meet the need. And you know what? That's really where all need meeting ultimately lands, right? At God's doorstep. It's his mission. Yeah, we, we need to serve in it. We need to come alongside what Jesus is doing. he's doing in the world. But then beyond supplying the workers, we also need to pray for the workers as they're doing the ministry. A lot of this mission happens where there are dark forces in spiritual realms opposing that work. We need to pray for protection on them and, and impact and ultimately for success. We need to ask God to use us in his work the work that only the Holy Spirit can do in drawing men to Jesus Christ. You know, our recent mission teams have have had some great success. We've heard about that. Could it be because some of you right here prayed it into happening? I think prayer is a much bigger part of this equation than we might want to think. We've got to pray like the world depends on it because it does. third way we can come alongside Jesus and his mission is to give. Now, it's not specifically in this passage, but there's a practical piece of the mission. Jesus wanted his followers to do ministry at no cost to the people who are receiving it. That means the people who are doing the ministry need the resources to have a place to stay, have food to eat, have their basic needs met while they're serving. There's some of you that have the means to contribute so folks can go and serve on mission teams. When you have the opportunity, give toward that. Have a part in it. You know, like Cindy said, doesn't, you know, a lot of times it doesn't take a whole lot to do a lot in other places in the world. And even if you don't go on the trip yourself, you're still having an important part through what you gave. You know, when I went on, on trips, sometimes you go, well, I could pay for my own trip. I have the money. I could do this. But we encourage our folks not to do that. Why? Because we want all of us as a body together to share in these trips. We want all of us to be able to have a stake in the work, whether you gave $1,000 or $5. I am forever grateful for the gifts that allowed me to go on a mission trip. Now, the needs sometimes for money, but sometimes we have needs that are just donating something, something that you might not need, but be of great value in another place in the world. But either way, see the need being presented, and then genuinely ask God the part He wants you to have in it. As God has given to you, in like measure, give back to Him. And then fourth, the fourth way we can engage with Jesus' mission, go. All right, folks, here we are, the big one. The one so many of us just don't want to think about. I'm going to say this, and some of you aren't going to like it. Folks, I think every one of us ought to do this at least once. Now, some of you are going to say, well, I can't go for this reason or that. I get it. That's fine. All my response to you is ask God what he wants you to do, and whatever that is, do it. Is that scary to think about? Sure it is. It's going off in the unknown. Look, I'm a planned out person. I don't like the unknown. You know, I, I was getting ready to go with the team that went to Enonos in June, but five days before they left, my mom passed away. And I was really disappointed to miss out on the chance to serve my dear friends, Angie and David, and the people they ministered to so faithfully. But the timing's in God's hands on that. I'm trusting that that was the way it was supposed to go. Now, can I let you in a little secret? It's just us, right? I was apprehensive about going. But you know what? That's the enemy. (laughs) He's trying to sow seeds of doubt, trying to make us think that what we're going to do there won't matter, or I'm not going to be able to do anything important that's going to help there. You know what that's really doing? He's trying to make us focus on ourselves and not what God's going to do through us. And the Bible says that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. So if I'm having fear, where's that coming from? Not God. In 2009, I went on my first mission trip. So here's my kind of personal report. Now, I went to India to do some worship-related training. I got to work with several people. We went all over the country. I got to teach the Word and pray with some people. And I suppose this side of heaven, I'm never going to really know the impact that I had in their lives. It's up to God. While we were there we visited the Temple Mount in Chennai and it's the site of this little church is traditionally held as the place where Thomas the Apostle was killed by an angry mob bringing the gospel to India. Temple Mount is this high spot in the middle of Chennai and it's a city the size of New York City and from there you could literally just look out in all directions And you could see cars going everywhere. And I mean literally everywhere because the way they drive over there is just crazy. And I'm looking out over millions of people, most of whom have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And I found myself starting to cry. For the first time in my life, I truly understood Matthew 9, 35 through 38. I was moved with compassion for the people of India who were harassed and helpless like sheep with no shepherd. Standing there that day in November 2009, God broke my heart for the world. Folks, listen to me. If I didn't have any impact on a single person I met on that trip, if I did nothing of any spiritual significance to anyone else while I was there, going on that trip changed me. And for that reason alone, it was worth going. I challenge you, go on a trip no matter how scary it is, no matter what you think you have or don't have to offer, because I guarantee you if you go, God will show you something about his heart for the world if you go out in that harvest, something you're not going to find if you stay here. And that alone will be worth it. Cindy and I have been talking about our next trip to Los sometime early in 2020. God willing, I'm going. I'd love for some of you to go with me. In particular, I'd love one or two of our worship arts folks to say, yeah, count me in, because they have some needs in that area. But I'd love to serve with any of you that feel like God is nudging you to join in. Be thinking about that. When we see the world through the eyes of Jesus, we're going to see needs. We'll be diligent about praying for the workers in the harvest fields. We're going to want to give our resources toward fulfilling the Great Commission. And we're going to want to go and experience God's heart for the world for ourselves. Let's pray. Let's just have a moment here us, each, each one of us individually in God. As you heard these reports today, as, we, as we've looked into the word, as you saw a glimpse of the heart of Jesus, what's God saying to you personally today? Do you need to see the need? Do you need to get serious about praying for the world? Do you need to be more generous in giving toward reaching the world? Is God calling you to seriously consider going on a mission trip? If any one of those applies to you, or maybe more than one, will you raise your hand and say, Pastor Joe, please, please pray for me? Oh, wow. Thank you, folks. I see hands all over the room. Thank you. God, just like at the nine, you're breaking my heart again because you're answering my prayer from all week that you would show your heart for the world. In a way that's going to follow your example. To see, be moved with compassion and do something about it. So God, for each one of these folks, whether they need to just see the need better or pray better. Maybe they have resources to give more. Or God, maybe it's the big scary go. Go. I pray, God, that for each person that raised their hand, and maybe there's some who didn't, but they're still feeling that nudge from you, God, that you would just touch these folks. Fan and flame that which you have done today. Show them just what you said. I am with you to the very end of the age. If they engage in what you're calling them to do, they're not doing it alone. You're going to go with them. And help them to know that, God. Come right alongside them. Be close to them. And God, I pray that you would, out of what's happened this morning, that many lives would be touched. Literally all over the world. There would be kingdom impact because of what's happened here today. And God, I ask all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen hey, if any one of these things touched your heart today, feel free to come to one of our prayer partners. They'd love to pray with you about it. And you can come for that or really anything you need prayer for, they'd love to be here. It's confidential. You can come and just receive that prayer. Take advantage of that. Let's stand together. We're going to use this time of worship as a chance to reflect on what God is saying to each of us here today.